This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's episode 78 of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for clicking subscribe and or download. Joining us once again here on a Friday morning, my name is Joel Godet, television and radio broadcaster of the Ball State University Cardinals, and this is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. As always, you can find us on social media. The podcast is at PXPCast, and I am at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or if email's more your thing, you can hit me up via email as well, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Uh, awesome response to last week's episode with John Boog Shiambi from ESPN. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check that one out or any of our previous episodes, you can always do that in our back catalog. Just scroll through iTunes or Stitcher and uh, or, or wherever else you happen to find this podcast, and uh, you can check out uh, all previous episodes. Craig Ackerman from the Houston Rockets before that, Toby Rowland from Oklahoma, Jim Barber from ESPN, Grant Napier from the Sacramento Kings, Ted Emmerich from Westwood One, Dan Duva of the Vegas Golden Knights, and then Jay Billis takes us back to episode 70. You can always take a look back at uh, all that lies behead. Uh, all that lies behead? All that lies behind. Speaking of ahead, uh, next week's guest will be the Chicago Cubs television announcer, Len Casper. So if you have any questions for Len Casper, uh, you can give us a shout on social media as well, and we can get those asked. Uh, Mike Breen of the New York Knicks will be an upcoming guest on the podcast as well. Uh, so if you have any questions for uh, Mike Breen, you can uh, shoot those to us via uh, social media at PXPCaster again, at Joel Godet. Today's guest, I am almost positive, and I say this off the top of the interview, our first soccer guest that we've had on this program. It is Jake Zivin from the uh, Portland Timbers, one of the uh, most popular MLS franchises. We'll get to Jake in a minute. Uh, but I wanted to address something on a more personal note to start this podcast off. Uh, big week for Ball State basketball. If you're a college basketball fan, you probably probably saw what happened on Tuesday night when the Cardinals pulled off what was statistically this season the third largest upset in college basketball. Ball State went on the road, took on Notre Dame in South Bend on Tuesday and won 80-77 and uh, came down to the end. Tied at 77 after Matt Farrell hit a three with 22-ish seconds left. Ball State got the ball out of the net, did not call timeout, uh, ran it down court, and with 1.7 seconds remaining, Taylor Persons drained a three from the left wing to give Ball State its first win over a ranked opponent ever on the road, true road game, and its first win over a ranked opponent at all, since 2001, one of the biggest wins in program history uh, and most definitely the biggest win that the program has had in nearly two decades. Uh, I lay that as the foreground because uh, kind of an awesome moment to broadcast and kind of an awesome moment to be a part of. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we live for 
in this business. And it's interesting because we've discussed so many things like that on this podcast over the course of 77 episodes, and all of it was swirling around in my head as that game wore on. You know, Ball State has played some fairly high-level competition this year. It's got one of the stronger strength of schedules in the country. Uh, went to Oklahoma earlier this season and, and got, you know, barn doors. Uh, played Oregon, what now, three weeks ago? And competed, was in the game until about the under 16 in the second half. Led for, for a nice portion of the first half. Was in that game, but this game was different. Uh, and, and Ball State controlled it. And kind of as the game wore on, you could feel the excitement level grow. And you kind of had a sense that, not that the Cardinals were going to win it as the game wore on, but you had a sense that this was going to continue and that Ball State was going to hang around and this was going to be fun as the game went. And I distinctly remember when we got to the under four media timeout and Ball State was still in front, thinking to myself, coming out of timeout, these next four minutes or three and a half minutes at that point have to be perfect. And it's funny because over the last couple of weeks, my whole mentality from a broadcast standpoint has been not to be the uber perfectionist, just kind of let rip and let it carry wherever it goes. And it's, it's been a nice kind of weight off my shoulders. And I think the product in a lot of ways has been better because of that. Um, but in those last four minutes, I was like, must be perfect, must be perfect, must be perfect. And there were there were two plays in particular that come to mind where, for me, the call was not what I wanted it to be because I kind of froze up in a second thinking this has to be perfect. So it's funny how that, that works out. Uh, but it comes down to the final call, which got a, a decent amount of traction and was on SportsCenter, which was like the most unbelievably cool thing ever. For some people that listen to this podcast, uh, maybe that's been something that's happened before, or maybe uh, some people out there that listen to this are on ESPN. I know some people that, that are out there that listen to this are on ESPN, so it's just kind of a regular occurrence. Uh, but when that's not your regular and that's not your everyday, uh, it was pretty cool. And it was neat to to get you know some feedback and some thoughts from people on, on how that final call played out. Uh, I think in the moment, I liked it a lot. Tie game, 19.8. Shot clock is off. Inbound to Persons. James Whitford likes to let them play out. He will not call the timeout. 13 seconds to go. Ball State, 77. Eighth ranked Notre Dame, 77. Seven seconds. Moses the screen. Persons goes left. Four seconds. Persons, a three. Got it! Persons, left wing three, 1.7 seconds at the Joyce Center in South Bend. Farrell will inbound baseline to Colson. Heaves three-quarter court. It's over. It's over. Ball State for the first time since 2001 beats a ranked opponent. It's eighth-ranked Notre Dame in South Bend on a Tuesday night in December. As I've listened to it now, incessantly since then I kind of like it less and less and have to kind of recheck myself and say no no it was it it was all right it was good um you know I look at it and say maybe it was a little too little too screamy I I thought maybe 
I didn't love the inflection of it 100%. And then I certainly wish I would have laid out faster uh, on the back end of the final call. Uh, but then I listened to it again. I'm like, no, you know what? It was cool. Uh, it was good. Uh, so it's it's that interesting inner dialogue and inner monologue that we all have as broadcasters when we evaluate uh, big moments and, and, and how we handle certain things. I've, I've had that back and forth uh, in my head quite uh, quite significantly over the last couple of days. Uh, at the end of the day, I was happy with it. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have said, boom goes the dynamite. No, not really. Uh, but I have had a bunch of people say, hey, you should have said, boom goes the dynamite. I'm not 100% sold on uh, on how that would have gone over. Uh, but but jokingly in my head, uh, maybe, maybe I should have said, boom goes the dynamite. Uh, anyway, just wanted to, to mention that and kind of talk about the, the firsthand experiences of, of being in a big moment and handling that, uh, you know, like we talk about with people on, on this broadcast all the time. Uh, certainly there was a, 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 a tightening of the tensions and uh, I, I thought I handled it well enough under the circumstances, but Hey, you know, like it, it all comes with reps and it all comes with experience and I'm sure next time out, it'll be different. And the time after that, it'll be different. And the time after that, it'll be different. And uh, that's that's part of the fun evolution of uh, the craft that we all do. All right, let's jump into today's guest. Uh, I mentioned, uh, I'm almost positive, Jake Zivin is the first soccer broadcaster we've had on this podcast. And I, I was excited to talk to him, had a chance to meet Jake, and we had never met before. So uh, just kind of on a whim, uh, he agreed to do this podcast in person. Uh, when I was out in Portland, Oregon, when Ball State went out west to take on uh, the Oregon Ducks in basketball. So sat down with Jake in a uh, local coffee shop in Portland, of which there are many. And you'll hear that here in the podcast. The, the Nat sound and all, you will hear them making coffee in the background. So enjoy. Um, but it, it was cool to pick his brain. And I'm not going to give away the, you know, the, the, the game here. But you know, he'll talk about uh, his path to becoming a voice of an MLS soccer team. And as is the case with a lot of people on this podcast, it's, it's a unique path. And it's not a, a replicable path, so to speak, for everybody. You know, all of us get into this our own different ways. And, and Jake's story and way is, like all of the ones on this podcast so far, unique to him. Uh, so it'll be interesting, uh, I think, for you guys to hear kind of how... He went from being a television sports anchor in Montana and then in Oregon to being the television voice of a major league soccer franchise. But we also talk about the nuts and bolts of soccer broadcasting and storytelling in soccer, how you do it, when you do it, if you can do it. Uh, We talk about language because soccer is such an international game. Talking about, uh, you know, British dialect versus American dialect uh, versus you know, just how people talk about soccer. How do you do it when you're broadcasting this to an American audience? Uh, and then we'll talk about name pronunciation, all that stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a fun one with Jake Zivin uh, for a lot of reasons to explore a sport that I, I don't have a lot of exposure to uh, as a broadcaster and, and, and really as a fan. I haven't been around soccer as much as, honestly, I'd probably want to. Um, so anyway, that being said, let's dive right in with Jake Zivin of the Portland Timbers, our first MLS guest here on Play by Playcast. All right, Jake, Zivin, at the time of this recording, uh, I do believe this to be true, but I'm not 100% positive. I believe you are the first soccer broadcaster we've had on this podcast. So uh, 
congrats. Thank you. I'm happy to represent the beautiful game uh, on this podcast. It's a there's I think a nice young generation of soccer broadcasters coming up, and I'll I'll, I'll take the flag for them for now at least. Let's talk about that first off, and in terms of the growth of the sport in this country and how that's created opportunities from a broadcast standpoint. Because I I don't know and. I mean, MLS has been around, but if you would have said 15 years ago, I'm going to make a legit full-time living as a full-time employee of a soccer franchise in this country, I think you would have gotten some eye rolls. And nowadays, you still might, but those people are probably in the wrong and the minority. Yeah, that's definitely correct. And I, I mean, I think it's it's even more recent than that. I, I One thing that I am so appreciative of, of the Portland Timbers is that is that I have a full-time job with them, and um, it's still, you know, I don't want to say rare, but um, you look at a lot of the other guys calling games um, for for other MLS teams, and, and it's not their only only gig. For some, it is. For some, it's not. And so, still getting to the point where I think like that's and being the play-by-play guy for an MLS team is is a full-time gig. Um, and for the Timbers, you know, they they were great. They've been great to me in, in kind of carving that out and figuring out ways to to make it so that it works full-time. Um, and certainly, 15 years ago, yeah, you know, you wouldn't have had that. You would have had just kind of the uh, in certain places I think kind of the local guy who t- didn't know anything about soccer and you just put him on play-by-play because he's the best person in the market at, at doing play-by-play but he might not really know the sport now I think that's changing and you're having people um, tailored a little more to, to soccer and that, that came up with the sport and know the sport well and it's, it's great it's a growing sport there's still a long way to go um, but yeah it, it, it has grown leaps and bounds when you google your name I think it's like the third link that comes up is the bleacher I think it's bleacher report um, or maybe it's a uh, yeah, we'll say Bleach Report. I don't know. We'll give credit where it's due, I, I guess, in the postscript. Um, the, the title is that you've got the best job in soccer broadcasting. Uh, why do you? Or maybe if you disagree with that, like maybe top three. But but what's great about being the voice of the Portland Timbers? Yeah, so it's Stumptown Footy, I think, which is the local um, SB Nation site for... I knew it was something about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, basically, right? Uh, it's similar, similar. Um, yeah, I mean... I, I think what what the context I meant is from from a local TV gig, right? Of the now 22 and, and expanding teams in MLS. To me, I, you can't have a better one than the Timbers. And 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 I said it in, in that article as well. That there are other teams in the same tier. You know, obviously a, a Seattle. Um, you know, that, there are big rivals, but but what they have up there, soccer culture wise, is is great. Um, the Canadian teams, Kansas City. Now the teams in the Southeast, Atlanta, uh, shocked everybody. I think um, with what they did in their first year from a from a support standpoint and that article was from before Atlanta everybody knew this was gonna be Atlanta um Orlando's is great as well but but just the passion that that the city of Portland has for the Portland Timbers the relevance of the Timbers in this market um I grew up in Chicago the Chicago Fire are you know fifth sixth at best in in the city of Chicago uh, in Portland you know the Timbers are a a strong number two. Some people would argue a 1A to the Blazers. Um, it's it's just absolutely remarkable. You walk around the city, you see people in Timbers gear, you see Timbers flags, you see Timbers decals all over the city. You don't see that in other MLS markets. You see it in some, you don't see it in all of them. And so, yeah, for me to be able to, to call games for a fan base that's so passionate, Providence Park, the atmosphere, every game is remarkable. It's one of the best sporting atmospheres I've been a part of any sport, uh, any level. And, and I feel lucky to, to be able to call games in that atmosphere. That's that's what I was going for with that. Yeah. Self-aggrandizing question for you here, but yeah. like, do you, that all being said, and I mean, if, you know, it's a 1A to the Blazers type deal, do you, do you feel like you're the voice of a, a major franchise? Do you walk around and 
I mean, like, do, do you get noticed as the voice of the Timbers walking around in Portland? Uh, not, I think I'm a pretty nondescript guy, so I, and I've got my off-season beard going right now, so I can, I can go a little incognito. I mean, obviously you'll get recognized when you're at events associated with the team. If I'm around Providence Park, around the stadium, if I'm with my broadcast partner, we'll get a little more, but I'm five, eight and a half, you know, brown hair, brown eyes, pretty, pretty nondescript person, so I don't get recognized that much, which is fine. Um, but, it, I mean, you know, to that point, you, I don't, I don't think like that, to be honest. And I, like, I'm not, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's probably, it is when, when you kind of step back and you think, man, there's a lot of people who know who I am just because I call these games. It's, it's cool to think of it. Um, and, and it's kind of a little weird, you know, I, I have a, a couple close friends who are also in the media business and they'll kind of be like, oh, my friend, I actually just got a text yesterday. My friend was like, are you really friends with, with Jake Zivin? We're huge Timbers fans. We watch Timbers and 30. Which is every, we watch Timbers and 30 every week, me and my husband. And it's kind of crazy to think of that. Like people would, um, you know, know me in, in that way. But it's it's uh, it's great. It's flattering. Um, it's an honor. And it comes with the territory. I guess it's not why I do it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's nice, obviously, when, when you hear things like that. I want to get into how you got here and kind of your backstory of broadcasting a little. But I, I, I want to start with the, the actual technical nature of what you do in soccer. Um, I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago that was just talking about how they improve as a broadcaster in terms of words they use, phrases they use, things like that. They said they like to watch soccer because the way that that game is described is different than anything else. Uh, and there's a lot of, I think, accuracy to that. Uh, there's a lot of phrases, words that, that get described in soccer. Um, it's got its own grammar. Um, in our office, we always kind of joke our, our soccer coach at Ball State is English, and it's always, you know, you know, Ball State are victorious, and we just kind of joke about it. Um, but what's what's different and unique to the way people talk soccer um, that that is special to broadcasting and that other people can kind of admire. Yeah, I think that's, I think one, to be honest, I think that's one of the toughest things about being a soccer player, by play broadcaster, is navigating the grammar of, of soccer um, and the grammar of American sports and, and how you combine that. You know, we're not calling games in Britain. I'm not calling games for a British audience. I'm calling games for an American audience. So, and, and I've heard other people, John Strong, who's kind of the voice of American soccer, who's a predecessor of mine with the Timbers and, and a friend of mine who I've talked to a lot about kind of our craft and I've heard him talk about it, um, words like table, which is what in Britain they would call standings. Um, in America, you would call them standings. So what do you use? How often do you use table? How often do you use standings? Um, do you interchange them? I think I tend to interchange those. Something like fixture, which is what they would call a game, a match, um, kind of like the schedule uh, in, in England. I would probably never really use that here, and I never really use that in my, in my own vernacular as well. So I think it's important to kind of find a balance of authenticity to to who you are as a person I, I'm American right I grew up I grew up watching American soccer watching the US national team watching the Chicago Fire in Chicago watching MLS in general but also the Bears the Cubs the Bulls the NFL the NBA Major League Baseball college football college basketball so being authentic to me and who I am the words I would use um, striking that balance you don't want to be super an anglophile because it, it comes off inauthentic I think you know um, and it's tough it's tough to strike that balance so it's something that I am still, I think, evolving with and trying to figure out, um, you know, how to use certain phrases and when to use certain phrases. And I'll, I'll listen back um, 
to myself and be like, yeah, that I shouldn't have used that. It didn't work there. You know, it it would work if I were on the BBC calling Manchester United Chelsea. It, it doesn't work here in America with my voice and who I am. And um, I think it's I think that's a tricky thing as, as a play-by-play guy for soccer is is to kind of figure out how to navigate. Um, and and it's not just I mean it's not just. British English. It's it's this every every world every country in the world plays this sport, and there's you know obviously a, a, a style of, of calling it that's more associated with uh, Latin America and, and Latin American soccer, the goal, you know. And there's been people who've tried that in English, and I, I don't think it really works in with the way uh, in American English, I should say. And so, uh, but I think there are there are things you can take from. The, the way the game is called in in Spanish language, uh, you know, in, in Latin America, um, to to the way we call it with American English in the U.S. Um, a little maybe more the energy that you don't see in Britain, and uh, I think it's you know American soccer just like America as a country is a melting pot of, of different cultures, and I think you'll see that in in the way American broadcasters call the game. Do you take stuff from watching? I mean, if we talk about Latin American broadcasts, I mean, if you're a basketball guy, you don't really have that kind of luxury, or certainly a right. football guy, yeah. you know, F O O T football. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't really have that luxury. I mean, will will you watch an Ian Dark or, or an Arlo or Latin American soccer? And, and how much will you sit there and say, like, okay, well, let me try this and and see how kind of the, that tinkering can work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you. Take it from and, and every sport. I'll go, you know, beyond people in soccer. When I watch uh, any sport, I, I think about and how they how they call the game. Um, with with British soccer, especially, I, I the way I call games, I think I have a little more energy, um, a little more of American style because that's how I came up. That's what I enjoyed growing up watching. Um, you know, again, the Bulls, the Bears. Um, I, I enjoyed that kind of the energy, the excitement of a call and so I think I call a game a little more like that whereas you'll watch some some games um, from kind of overseas uh, British side British English especially it's a little more subdued um, and it's almost kind of I'm unimpressed with that and that's just the style of, of some guys um, I don't think Arlo White and Ian Darker that way and I, and I love the way they call games and they certainly bring an energy what I loved about watching um, specifically you know Liga MX on say Univision or, or Telemundo or Galavision when, when I was young um, in Chicago is I could be on the other side of the room not paying attention and I would know when I need to pay attention because the, the cadence picks up, the excitement picks up, the tone picks up when the ball's getting into a dangerous spot, not just after the goal's been scored, but in the build-up to it. So you know that I know when to pay attention, I know when to look over, and um, I love that, and I think that's what I've taken most from the Latin American style, um, or at least I should say the, you know, the Spanish language in America coverage of Liga MX and, and national team games that I watched as a kid growing up and, and continue to watch now um, is that way of calling a game. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a balance and I think you always try to learn um, from other announcers in, in any sport because especially for me, I'm still very, very new to this. So plenty, plenty for me to pick up along the way. Random question and I just thought of it because of the way you said Univision. Um, is that something you have to be aware of as well in, in, in soccer, especially with so many such an international influence? Is the way you 
I mean, do you Americanize names and words yeah. and things like that? Or, or do you almost have to be respectful to true pronunciations of where people are from? And, and how difficult can that be? Because yeah. I imagine there are some tricky ones. Oh, it's hard. It's so hard. We have a, we have a player um, from Lithuania who goes by Vitas, V-Y-T-A-S. But his, his full name is Vitotas Andruskavagis. And he, when he came, you know, that was, that was, he signed with the team last year. That was his name that was written out. And, and we asked him, how do you say your name? And he's like, well, first of all, just call me Vitas. And it's like, all right, yeah, we will, but we want to know, how do you say your name? It's like, well, so in Lithuania, we say Vitotas Andruskavagis. But in other parts of Europe, we say, you know, they say Vitotas Andruskavichis. Um, and it's like, all right, well, what do you say? And he's like, oh, I don't care. I don't care. It's like, no, what do you say? You know, we want to know. We want to get it right. And, and it's hard because there are so many. I would have never said a Lithuanian name. And maybe if I, you know, the Blazers, right, Arvita Sabonis. So in Portland a little bit, they know about Lithuanian athletes. But I would have never said anything Lithuanian ever before in my life. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's difficult. That is difficult. But I think it's important to get it right and, and to be accurate. I mean, um, I think one of the most important things as a play-by-play person is your accuracy in, in every in every way, and that includes pronunciation. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think I'm necessarily great at it, but I, I try to drill in before a game, you know, tricky pronunciations. I, I try to make sure I get them right. And, and work on your accents? Yeah. Oh, I can't do accents, that's for sure. So I, t- I can't roll my R. That's the toughest part, right? I can't I can't roll my R. It's so. a bad hit in soccer. Yeah, right, exactly. You have, to do, you have to do it. You have to do it frequently. So I'll Americanize those, I guess. When, when there's supposed to be a, a roll dar. People always say that baseball is the storyteller's medium uh, yeah. because of how slow the sport can be, and you've got a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong on this, with soccer, um, the, the, the uninformed opinion would, when people that don't know the game look at it and they go, well, nothing happens. Um, and obviously there's a lot going on in between goals. Yeah. But to a certain extent as well, uh, when there's just action in the middle of the field, how much does that open it up to you to kind of have a creative palette and be able to do some storytelling? See, I would say soccer is the exact opposite of baseball. I think it's a sport where there's the least amount of ability to tell stories because the ball's always in play. There's, well, again, a, a non-soccer person would say, what about when they're down on the ground flopping? But for the most well, That's why I was curious. Right, exactly. But, but then there's an injury, so you got to talk about the injury, right? So if you start telling a story and a guy's down in pain, you don't know if he's actually hurt or not, right? So you well, got to say about how great a piano that. player he is. Right, exactly. Um, so you... Because, I mean... Yes, there's goals are rare, but scoring chances aren't necessarily rare. And if you're telling a story about a guy and all of a sudden the ball gets into the final third and there's a dangerous cross into the box, you've, you've got to describe this cross. The ball's going into the box. And if you're a viewer watching, you're like, hey, come on, I'm, I'm a fan of this team. I think they might score here. And you're telling a story about, you know, what Joe did in college. And, you know, and it's just you, you've got to give, uh, I think, um, you know, you, you, you've got to say what's happening, to, to be honest, in that moment. So I think it's the most difficult to get in stories. Every other major sport, you have stoppages. Baseball, of course, right? I mean, that's, that's as you said, everybody knows. That's the number one example. You have to have a billion stories in your mind to be able to call that game. Basketball, there are stoppages. There's fouls. There's free throws. Ball goes out of bounds. It almost and sounds I, like you're more a hockey approach in terms of... Yeah, probably. I've never called a hockey game. I'm not a big hockey guy, so I haven't thought too much about it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, um, there's a lot of action going on in soccer. And... You know, it's not it's not the Simpsons where you know just hitting, passing the ball back and forth in the midfield. Like, I mean, you'll get games that are that are less entertaining like that, right? Where one team's trying to sit back, the other team is is just happy having the ball and, and doesn't have a ton of ambition in a game. But even then, the ball's still going to get into the final third. 
you know, every 30 seconds or so. And so it, it, it can be tough to, to get in stories. And, and um, you've got to kind of pick your moments and be ready to bail. I mean, that's a big thing. You've got to bail. I mean, I think I bailed in the middle of stories. You know, I think you probably bail in the middle of stories in, in soccer way more often than you would in any other sport. This will be, I'm sure, different than probably the wonkiest question I ask you, but different from radio to television as well, because it, certainly radio, yeah. you have zero time because you're always describing passes. Um, but in television as well, where's your balance in terms of, uh, the, you know, everybody always, when, whenever you first start doing television, they always say stop talking, yeah. like let, lay out a little bit more. But on the same note, and, and maybe this goes back to the hockey thing, like, Doc Emmerich is famous for describing everything, even on television. Is that kind of the approach you take with soccer, too? No, yeah, I think the the, the former, where, yeah, you, you don't need to say as much on TV. Um, especially in, in Portland, we have an incredible atmosphere. So when the Timbers Army is rocking and they're singing, uh, if it's a rainy night, which which we'll often get. Um, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. It, it rains a couple days a year here in Portland. Um, and the team's just knocking the ball around the middle. You can lay out and, and let the viewers into this atmosphere. Providence Park, we have one of, if not you know, biased, obviously, but the best atmosphere in American soccer. Um, and, and one of the best atmospheres, I think, in American sports. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think going to a Portland Timbers game is an incredible experience, a live audience experience. And other sports have, have come to the Timbers and other teams in MLS to ask them, how do you do this? How do you make it so that people want to come to your game? Because watching games on TV now is, is, is a great experience. And so you're seeing dwindling attendance um, elsewhere in, in other big sports around the country. And uh, other sports want to know, how do you replicate this in MLS? Replicate, how do we replicate what you guys have? And it's, there's not an easy answer. But anyway, because of that atmosphere, I think we want to let people in a little more on TV. Um, it's something that I again I'm still still trying to figure out still relatively new to TV just finished my second full year on TV so still trying to catch that balance of when to lay out how much to talk when to talk at what points um, I switch between TV and radio because when the Timbers are on national TV which happens 14 times a year at least 15 times a year we're, we're a big draw nationally so we get pretty much the max picked up that, that the national TVs can uh, national networks can pick up I'll call the game on radio. So you're switching back and forth throughout the season. That can be tricky. You get in a rhythm of calling every touch on the radio um, and then have to go back to TV where it's... Once it gets into a dangerous spot, that's when you really want to get into, into calling every touch, but you don't necessarily need to in, in other places. Um, so, yeah, it is it is a balance that I'm still definitely trying to figure out. How much TV play-by-play had you done before you started doing the Timbers on TV? Yeah. Uh, and what was that like, oh, crap factor like the first time you, you did it yeah not a lot not a lot um i so before i was with the timbers i was a sports director at the abc station in eugene we did a high school football and basketball game of the week that was an incredible incredibly bare bones production there were two cameras there were no replays um switching back and forth in our control room so literally we had one camera attached to our microwave van the other camera attached to a stinger those are obviously industry terms but so you're basically sending two live shots back simultaneously to our control room and then they're switching between the two as we're calling the game um, from from a high school gym or a high school football field uh, you know I, I, I tried to prep um, in the same way that I would if I was doing you know doing it for ESPN um, but uh, but it was it was a rudimentary production so that was the first that was the only TV I'd really done uh, TV play by play then I did uh, a season of we have a USL team which is basically the equivalent of a minor league affiliate here called Portland Timbers 2 um, kind of a reserve team a developmental team um, and I called their games on web stream 
for a season, the 2015 season. So that gave me uh, mechanics of calling a game visually when, when the people watching can see what's happening versus radio, which I had done for two seasons for the Timbers before getting my first shot of TV. Um, the first game I did was against Real Salt Lake, end of the 2015 season in Salt Lake City. Uh, was fortunate that the Timbers gave me a chance to, to see what I could do. Ended up being the last three games of that season. I was definitely nervous heading in. Um, you know, I had been on TV thousands of times over the past eight years as, as mostly a sports anchor, sports reporter, but I had never done a, a real TV play-by-play broadcast. We're on Root Sports, you know, a legitimate regional sports network, obviously. Um, all that goes into it, coming in and out of breaks, sponsorship reads, billboards, all that stuff I'd never done before. Um, so I was, I was nervous about it. Um, once, once it got into the game and got into calling of the game, I settled down. I remember being, being pretty nervous for the open, and, I, and we got through it one take, which was awesome. It's crazy, because that's the thing yeah. I feel like you would be most comfortable well, doing. So, so it ended up, when we started doing I was like, okay, I can do this, right? And my, my, co, uh, my co-commentator, Ross Smith, great friend of mine now, we did it in one take, and he turns, he's like, wow. It was a great one taken. I was like, man, that's the easy part because this is what I've done for for eight years, right? Everything's planned out. You know what you're gonna say. You can, you know, not scripted out. There's not a teleprompter like there is when you're anchoring, but you know what you're gonna say. Uh, it's all planned beforehand. Everything else that's coming. This is what I've never really done before. Um, but but once the game got going and once you know, you get get the rhythm of the game and and. Um, you know, I, I fell and felt a little more comfortable and. Um, definitely treaded lightly that first game which I think didn't try to do too much which I think really really worked out well and uh you know yeah from from then on I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to keep doing it but yeah, I, I remember I was I had the nerves the nerves that night were were strong let me go back to the beginning of getting involved with the Timbers because you obviously are, are doing TV you're in Montana you come to to KZI in, in Eugene Oregon about two hours south of where we are now um you love soccer. You want to get involved in soccer. You want to be a soccer broadcaster. What happened in your mind in terms of plotting out, like, all right, I'm close to a team, although not too close, but, like, relatively close, that I'll make it work, um, and saying, like, how did the process go of reaching out and, and seeing if they would be interested in, in having this TV guy from sort of nearby get involved? Yeah, so I will say this. My my path was the was not the right way to do it because I, I didn't do what you just described and I should have earlier. So um, I'll start back in college when, sure. when I was at, at Carleton College. Math um, major. Math major, yeah. No, we didn't have a journalism program at all. Um, so I was at Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. Um, in between my junior and sophomore, or my sophomore and junior year, I interned with Major League Soccer, the broadcast department in the league office in New York City. Um made some some great contacts obviously in, in, in that point um, guys who are still really and people who are still really involved in in US soccer and MLS um, from that internship I was able to get a job on the ESPN game of the week um, in the production side of it operating the bug I was the clock and score operator so I'm operating the scoreboard I'm flying it was a, it was a, a traveled position so I would take class Monday through Friday I would I only had morning class on Friday I would drive up to MSP Minneapolis St. Paul Airport and fly to wherever the game is on Friday afternoon, do the game on Saturday or Sunday if it was a Sunday game, fly back uh, in time for, for class on Monday. That's a great deal. It was awesome. You know, I'm a junior and senior year, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm on the road with, uh, so at the time it was Rob Stone was the play-by-play guy, Eric Ronaldo was, was color, Brandy Chastain was a silent reporter. I mean, Eric Ronaldo, Brandy Chastain, people who I grew up watching play. Uh, Rob Stone, who's, you know, obviously with, with Fox Sports right now and, and at the time at ESPN, has had an incredibly successful career. And I'm on the road with, with these guys. Uh, 
as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, um, like going and going out to dinner Friday nights, Saturday nights with the crew, that the crew embraced me. Um, the, the production side of it, you know, more so I was closer, obviously, with the people on the production side, the people in the truck as well. And, um, so I was able to do that for two seasons, uh, last two years in college. And created those great great connections stayed in touch with with a lot of the people who were again who are still involved in in soccer um guys like todd coolis shaw brown these are behind the behind the scenes people that um soccer people will, will know russ lathrop um larry chiscornia with major league soccer uh jason Sagini, who's, who's major league soccer um there's, i'm sure a couple uh, some other names that, that i'm forgetting and leaving out but they were always they were great with me and, and staying in touch with me over, you know, my kind of foray into local local sports news uh, news anchoring. Um, when I took the job in Eugene out of Montana, I said to myself, I knew the Timbers were coming into MLS, and I thought to myself, yeah, it was part of one of the one of the reasons of going. Obviously, Eugene's a great sports market. Coming from Missoula, Montana, it's a it's a step up from covering a, a great FCS program and high school sports in Missoula to to covering University of Oregon, Oregon State, two big Pac-12 schools. Um, so, so uh, that was that was the the big part of it. But in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, there's an MLS team coming into the league just up the road. Maybe I could get involved. Um, my first year in Eugene, the, we we shared a lot of video with the affiliates up in Portland, and the sports director at KPTV, the Fox station, is a guy named Matt Smith. Uh, was a guy named Matt Smith at the time. So I knew Matt from. We shared, you know, video um, back and forth together. Uh, Matt Smith became the first director of broadcasting of the Portland Timbers when the team came into the league in 2011. So I overlapped with Matt in the local news world for six months, may- maybe less, um, enough to know each other. He goes, you know, and he's 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 not my boss. I'll say with the Timbers right now, but so he's with the Timbers, um, and I didn't really, I should have at that point been like hey Matt just so you know I'm, I'm a huge soccer guy I worked with the league um, you know soccer's always my favorite sport I've always wanted to get back into it um, full-time if possible uh, and I didn't do that and I should have I'm you know so that that's don't don't necessarily emulate me if if you if you're listening to this um, 2013 um, I get I'm calling a local high school game for KZI I remember this well it was at Marist High I forget who they were playing or maybe it was at Springfield High and um, I get an email from Matt Smith and it's like hey I'm sitting in the truck uh, the Timbers were in the Western Conference Finals at the time against Real Salt Lake I'm sitting in the truck with Larry Tiscornia he tells me you're a big soccer guy well, let's talk so Larry Tiscornia now um, VP of Broadcasting with uh, at Major League Soccer Matt Smith now the VP of Broadcasting with the Portland Timbers Larry was my boss when I was an intern and um, Larry had must have said hey do you I kept in touch with Larry I said hey do you know Jake Zivin down in Eugene you know he's a big soccer guy and um, Matt reached out immediately and I was like oh that's you know that's awesome um, I should have reached out to him and uh, I, I anyway that that off season we I came up to Portland we met we chatted for a while, and, and that turned into him, um, them offering me the, the radio gig for the 2014 season while I was still at KZI's. KZI was super supportive of it. I was fortunate. Uh, I would drive up to do games, 34 games, you know, a year. wasn't Actually, wasn't even that many because when it was on national TV, I, I didn't do the radio game. Um, and, you know, I was able to call radio games for a year. The, the Timbers put, put together... Um, a package to that would get me up full time for the 2015 season, and um, you know I'm, I'm still here now. So if I had gotten in touch with with Matt, you know 2011, maybe it would have all happened sooner. I, I recommend um, you know 
networking better than I did and, and not being afraid, I guess, to, to reach out to people. I think that was kind of my thing. It, not that I, you know, it's not that I didn't think about it. It was more just like, you know, why would he care? You know, I don't want to bother him. Why does he care if I'm, you know, but, but it's not, the, it's not you know, as I think most people would know, most people, especially in the position that Matt's in, no, they, they want to know what the options are and they're always happy to talk and, and to help people out. And um, I wish I kind of had the confidence back in 2011 to do that. I didn't. It w- worked out for me in the end, but could have happened sooner. I have the same conversations in my head all the time, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm in the same spot there as you. you. I agree with you wholeheartedly on, on all of everything you just said there. Um, the the conversation you had with KZI about, because I, I don't know how much work you had to miss to do 30-some-odd games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, How did that go, and did you imagine? Like, what did you think going into that? Are you thinking, like, this is... This is not going to go well, and I'm going to be bummed because I'm going to miss this opportunity. Or, or were you pretty sure it was going to work out? No, I'll say I was fortunate. They they always treated me great at KZI. Um, I, I was fortunate that my, my contract was up. That uh, I don't know the exact date, but it would have been up like in the same off season that this happened. Oh, okay. So, um, or maybe it would have been up before down in KZI. Basically, like. The cycles are football seasons, right? You, you don't want somebody to leave in the middle of a football season. You don't want to have to replace somebody super close to a football season. So it's like, you know, get me through in the next football season. So the contract would have been up before the next football season. Um, so I basically went to them and I was like, look, I have this offer. I really want to do it. I love soccer. I'd been there for almost four years at the time, sports director for at least two of those years. Um, thought I had a really good relationship with everybody and, and worked hard. Um, so I went to, to my boss at the time, a guy named Mark Hatfield, um, and I said, look, I have this offer and I really, really want to do it. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd be happy to, to re-sign, to extend with you guys through the next football season, which would take me through the end of the 2014 soccer season as well, if you guys let me do it. If, if it's in there that you know I can call these games. and uh, I ended up missing a handful of Saturdays during the college football season, which is obviously... Um, you know that's prime time that's what matters most and uh they were supportive of of me doing it i appreciated that i still appreciate that so much um that i was able to do both that season and uh yeah there really wasn't much of a of a conversation it was yeah no problem you know i think for them benefit was having continuity through another football season that football season ended up being marcus mariota's um heisman trophy year you know when, when the ducks lost ohio state in the national championship game so that was, you know, one of uh, the most prominent football seasons in Oregon history. So obviously, it's good for them to have have somebody you know, have the continuity of, of leadership there during the sports department during that season. So it's mutually beneficial for for everybody, and, and it worked out really well. So the lesson in there is just have a really good boss. Yeah, no, definitely. I've been fortunate, you know. I've been fortunate at KZI and and now with the Timbers as well. Um, and 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 in, I started in, in Missoula, Montana as well. I, I've been fortunate, I think, to work at good places. Um, I, yeah, I have you know nothing but good things to say about all the places I've been. And I know in this world, in this business, it's not always the case with everybody. Um, so I definitely feel lucky. You talked about Matt being your boss, broadcast director, um, and that's. You know, I, I don't deal with that where I'm at, and I'm sure a lot of people do. Some people don't. Um, but what's what's the evaluation process like for you? You said you listen to all your stuff all the time, but what kind of feedback do you get in terms of what people want to hear from you, or, or hey, you're, this is great, this isn't? How's that all work? It's incredible. It's incredible. I, it's the first time in my career that I've really had, um, you know, some constant kind of feedback and coaching. Matt is super good at. Um, we meet every week, um, and great at giving me giving me feedback and coaching. Um, and it's been it's been illuminating. You know, I mean, there's plenty of times when he'll bring up 
bring up certain aspects that I didn't necessarily notice about the way I said something or, um, you know, repeating phrases and, and, and the such. Um, and, and even deeper, I mean, it started kind of play-by-play 101 because I hadn't really done, you know, much TV. So I'm, I'm just worried about, you know, hitting the big moments well, getting, getting the goal calls right, laying out at the right times, um, you know, navigating through a broadcast at a basic level, making sure that, all, you know, everything goes smooth, um, not trying to do too much. And, and it's evolved to, to being a little more nuanced and talking about kind of how I want to, what I want my you know, on-air persona to be being authentic, um, that sort of, that sort of, uh, kind of higher level, maybe nuances of, of calling a game and doing play-by-play. And, um, again, I've been so grateful and thankful to, to have somebody, um, and, and certainly, you know, it goes beyond Matt. Um, I, our guys at Root Sports, our, our TV partner, are, are awesome at feedback as well. But with Matt, it's on a more kind of week-to-week basis and day-to-day basis as well. But um, it's been it's been uh, super helpful, and I think that yeah, if you know. I, I would always tell anybody to to listen to advice and listen to other people and get as much coaching as you can and um, you might think you know what you're doing well and what you're not doing well but and you know you, you might not and and so it's always good to to, to get that coaching if you can not everybody's going to be in a spot where, where they can get it um, and it, I think it's really helped me grow quicker than maybe I would have if I were just trying to figure it out, out on my own which in like the sports TV, TV anchoring world that's what it was for the most part I had a couple sports directors um, that really helped early but both my jobs I kind of um, became the sports director pretty quick so that was you know six to nine months each time um, so to have kind of an extended mentor um, teaching coaching relationship has has been wonderful Jake I'll let you go on this note um, how many times do you tell somebody what you do for a living and they say hey can I hear a goal call <laughs> it's never happened oh man no thank really yeah yeah no, I wouldn't I don't know I would Lucky you, because I get touchdown all the time, and do I'm you. like, I can't do that for do you. you. Yeah, no, I would, I would refer him to YouTube. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, no, man. And some people will be like, Do you do? You go goal? Like, no, I, I don't do that. That wouldn't work. But uh, yeah, no. Thankfully, that's not a frequent occurrence. How do people find you uh, if they want to follow the Timbers? If they want to follow you on social media, whatnot? Yeah, at Jake Ziven uh, on Twitter, J A K E Z I V I N. Um, Timbers.com for for. Uh, everything Timbers related and uh, yeah you know watch watch the 2018 season should be interesting and fun Jake this was fun I uh, appreciate you coming down here and uh, meeting me on a whim and uh, knocking this one out oh it's great I appreciate it as well Joel great to meet you and great to talk alright you heard it there Major League Soccer broadcaster Jake Zivin does not get asked a lot for people to, to, to give his goal call nobody nobody walks up to him and goes hey can I hear a goal which really did dumbfound me like I, I kind of surprised I'm disappointed in you soccer fans <laughs> I get touchdown or home run all the time. I I kind of envy it actually that that nobody's asked him for for a goal call. Uh and I thought it was interesting and this goes back to the the kind of dialect stuff that we talked about uh, more toward the beginning of the podcast that you know he doesn't go with the elongated goal. Uh, that's that's not who he is and that's not how a lot of sports sound like. Uh in America, it's that the type of audience that you're broadcasting to. It doesn't necessarily work in English the same way it works internationally or in Spanish or things of that nature. Uh, a lot of interesting things just about soccer and soccer broadcasting that I've never really considered uh, because it's really one sport I've not had a lot of exposure to professionally. So that was uh, fun for me to kind of pick Jake's brain and, and broaden my horizons a little bit 
into uh, a new sport. Uh, hopefully, for those of you who don't have a ton of soccer exposure, it did the same. And, and for those of you guys that are big soccer fans out there, it gave you a taste and a flavor of something we haven't had on the pod that uh, you can relate to a lot and, uh, and probably have been waiting for for a little while as well. So uh, my sincere thanks to Jake Zivin for joining us here on this podcast and uh, for doing it on a whim in person and just meeting this random guy who was coming out west uh, who hosts a podcast at a coffee shop to, to record it. So it, it continues. My favorite thing about this podcast is the openness of people to come on it. Uh, that continues to be one of the things I'm absolutely thankful for, uh, both you guys as an audience, but also the people that come on this pod. So uh, for that reason, many thanks to Jake Zivin. Again, next week, Len Casper. Any questions for him, hit us up uh, at PXPCast or at Joel Godet on Twitter. Until then, we say so long. This is Play by Playcast, and we are out. Everybody.